Welcome to The Courage Effect. I'm Suzanne Weller, and this is a show about growth and unleashing what's possible. You will hear inspiring stories about what courage looks like, how we navigate what's getting in our way, and the opportunities that surface when we choose courage over comfort. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. It's Suzanne. It's great to have you here at The Courage Effect. My guest today is actually somebody else who has a show on the same station as me, KKNW, here in Seattle. And my guest is Amy Kugler. Amy is a media executive writer and founder of Beam, a venture that illuminates the unseen corners of motherhood with human scale storytelling. She is the host for And More with Amy Kugler, a radio show and podcast that explores the dynamic stories of motherhood and caregiving and how these stories hold exponential power to be a driving force for change. Her two-decade career is built on driving holistic content strategy, spanning industries from global health and government agencies to enterprise and female-founded startups. Her writing has appeared in numerous outlets, including Forbes, The Washington Post, Thrive Global, and The Seattle Times. After living in Washington, D.C., Kansas, and Louisiana, she calls Seattle home with her husband, two children, and Husky. You can find her swimming or stand-up paddleboarding on Lake Washington. Amy, such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to The Courage Effect. Thank you, Suzanne. It is so great to be here. I am so excited for this conversation because when we were doing the prep, we were talking about the question, why not me? Which I think is a huge question that all of us ask ourselves at some point. And I think specifically as women and likely specifically also as mothers, but let's start here. How did, how does that question impact you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think it's the one that if I look back at my career and my life, that's the one that keeps driving me forward and where I have to show the most courage, right? Where, you know, it's that transition of asking, why not me? Like I see something in this world, whether that's a story that needs to be told or a problem that needs to be solved or the dishes that need to be done. Why not me? Um, I'd rather not ask that about the dishes. I'm not going to lie, but it's really just having that moment of saying, okay, well, let's go, you know, like a moment of clarity. And, and for me, courage is stepping into that moment from a place of strength, which is a really hard, hard thing to do and something that I am not very good at and continually practicing day in, day out. Well, thank you for owning that. And I think it's the idea of a practice, right? This is courage. Courage is a practice. It's not something that every day and every single thing that we're doing, like, ah, I'm just doing this and I'm owning it. I wish that were the case, <laughs> but maybe I, I don't. <laughs> I know. I wish we could. I wish we could do that. And you know, I didn't really see. It was. It was when I was on maternity leave with Evie. So you know, for for listeners, I I have two kiddos. One Brendan is six, and Evie is one. And so it was literally about six months ago where I was in the midst of a, a conversation with my own, like my own head of like, okay, what is it that I want to do, right? Like, what is it that we're taking maternity leave and this is wonderful, but I just felt some stirrings of like, what is that? Like being really curious about like, what is that stirring of what I want to do next? And I, you know, I had a moment where I was in the midst of a, a conference and for publishers here in Seattle at the brand new convention center, which is nice and shiny and amazing. And I show up because I have a six month old at the time with 
like my pump and everything to get ready for it. And I walk into this nursing mother's room, which was just honestly a conference room. And it was fluorescent lights. And it was a view from like severance on Apple TV, right? Like it was an interrogation room. And I was so nervous and so scared and so anxious for a lot of different reasons. But I just was like, this is weird. But I snapped a picture and went on with my day and I did what everyone should do. I tweeted about it. That was probably my first mistake, but I tweeted about it. And the next day I woke up to hundreds of notifications on my phone and it was shared more than a half million times. And it was just wildly mind-blowing because I was hearing stories of moms and caregivers who were that you could tell these stories were just pushed down for maybe two months, maybe decades, right? Of how they powered through in those moments and them wanting to see change. And I look around and I'm like, why is nobody telling these stories? Like we see these stories in different avenues, but why is it that we stuff those stories down and what can happen when we share them broadly. And as I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, um, Stacey Harris, who's incredible, um, you know, it was just like, she looked at me and she's like, well, what are the stories you want to tell? I'm like, these are the stories. And she was the one who had to remind me in that moment of like, well, why not? Right. And so I think even sometimes when we lose that courage, right, or, or maybe it's in a different space or a different place, um, you know, we still have to learn how to, to summon it up and others who know you really well can help summon that up with you. There's so much goodness in what you just shared. Um, I, I, I love the fact that you, that you did it and it was, you're like, well, I'm just doing this. Like I'm putting it out there, but not really expecting it to become what it became because then it was this really genuine organic happening. Um, and the fact that you were, you were speaking your own truth and in the process of putting it out there in the universe, you were breathing air into a space and giving other people the ability to actually fill that space with their truth at the same time. Yeah. And I found it really fascinating to watch people that I had no idea. Now, granted, I mean, my background is in comms and so, and content. And so like I have coached executives to try to find those viral moments all by saying you have to be authentic and just share what you're experiencing. And if people come along with you, that's it. It's a whole separate thing when those moments happen to you and you don't expect it. And, um, but I just was, I was in awe and floored by the courage of so many, I mean, moms and dads and grandparents, even just saying like, I, I see that. I feel that I see you. I feel you. It was the same for me. And it just showed the power of what happens when my story and your story, just like what you do here on the show, right? When we see each other and we say, okay, like that's that I, I feel like I belong in that moment. And I find that as we combine those moments, that's what makes the power to make change. And so that's really, you know, I'm living right now in my why not moment, because why not? So good. And the, and the idea of, I mean, storytelling is such a vital tool to catalyze ourselves and others. And I think that 
that's one of the things that amazes me is when, when I engage in storytelling, and it's funny too, because as somebody who's also done communications for leaders and for programs and organizations, you get so in the mindset of helping to helping them to find their voice, to channel it. But when it comes to channeling your own and you start doing those storytelling, you know, techniques, it really, you have to get vulnerable and you have to get into that space of what, what, what am I not paying attention to? <laughs> and what do I need to basically crack open a little bit? Oh man. And it's usually those pieces that require you to be the most vulnerable yeah. are the spaces where people will meet you. Right. Because when you, when you tell that story, I mean, to your point, like I, I've, ghostwritten for others. I've done the whole thing. It is a much different thing when it's your story and it's very personal and you're, you know, facing a sleepless night with a kiddo or a, an elder parent whom you're caregiving for, right? Like those are the moments that are, that feel the most alone in many cases and require the most vulnerability, vulnerability to share. But I'm fine. I'm finding even now that that's where people will meet you. They will meet you in those moments and they will yeah. walk you through, even if they don't know you. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. amazing how sort of stepping into what might be a disempowering space for us actually empowers us. Oh man. I love that. I love that. And it's taking that, it's taking that power back in a way. It's, it's really, it's really owning it and moving it forward. And that's where, you know, for, as you know, as the things have for that story, right. Has continued to percolate for me, um, that vulnerable story of what it looks like to be a mom right here, right now, a caregiver as a person who is in the sandwich generation of taking care of like elders and businesses and other things. That's where that's where we need to step in and take that power back because it's not a room made for me, right? It's not a room made for others that may not look quite like me or, and have different backgrounds, but in order to take that power back, we've got to take the power back for all of us, right? And amplify the stories of those who aren't shared often. Yes. So beautiful and so important. And what, what's coming up for me too, is the idea of like, I'm dealing with my parents aging at this point and really working with them to prepare for what's going to be next and mm -hmm. hearing so many stories from other people and same with, with kids, right? Like I am not a mother, but I am a very active aunt and, you know, supporter of my community. Um, and those are some of the things where I hear all these stories, but when it happens to me, when I'm in that situation, I need to be ready to ask those questions and to explore it on my own. And that's what I'm also hearing from you is that it's great to, it's great to listen and it's great to bring it in. But at the same time, it's almost like the, why not me? Like, okay, now I've heard these, but I still need to, I need to navigate this journey on my terms. Right. Right. And it's also, it brings a bit of curiosity for you to figure that out. And I'm sure as you're navigating this journey too, it's, it's the one thing that says, okay, well, I hear this story from this person and this person about how they dealt with elder care. Right. How do I navigate this system? How do I, what are the questions I need to ask in the midst of that? And the bigger layer, like the one that was really important for me, the girl who lived in DC for so long is, so what can we do about that? Like at a bigger level, how, what can we, how can we make a difference at a bigger level? Not just how I need to get through the day, right? Cause that's important too. Yeah.
Well, and I wonder if working in DC and working, you know, in some government and otherwise actually gave you more of a glimpse to be like, oh, I need to be thinking about other people, right? I need to be not just thinking about myself. <laughs> There's a part of that. There's a part of that. I mean, I, my love, my first career choice was in nonprofit with American Cancer Society. And it was like, that's ingrained in you to really build community and build a movement. And I don't think that's ever left. And the DC wonk in me will always continue to question public policy and dig in deeper and call your Congress people, you know, but at the end of the day, like, I, I think that, you know, those, that courage is summed up from summoned up from all of those different experiences and very unique ways that I did not have on my bingo card for life. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Well, we're going to cut to a break, but let's keep that theme going around like finding your voice and how you want to use it to tell your stories. So we will be back after the break. This is Suzanne with The Courage Effect. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. It's Suzanne from The Courage Effect. As the seasons changed, I poked into my closet and discovered how stale my wardrobe had become. Everything felt boring and I wanted something different and fresh. I grabbed my laptop and remembered Armoire. Why not clothing rental? I could experiment with new styles from jeans to something fancy without spending a ton of money and buying clothes I would only wear a handful of times. Armoire makes clothing rental easy. Build a perfect seasonal wardrobe with brands that are unique, sustainably sourced, and owned by women. All you have to do is take the style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, and they will ship them straight to your door. Armoire allows me to indulge in high quality designer clothing with no guilt. They promote sustainability with fewer items ending up in the donation bag and landfill and no dry cleaning fees. Trust me, your cramp closet and the environment will thank you. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, you must try Armoire. And right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style, that's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash the courage effect to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to The Courage Effect. This is Suzanne, and my guest today is Amy Kugler. Amy, in our conversation about storytelling um, and, you know, stepping out from maybe, you know, helping others tell their stories and owning ours, I'm curious for you, what are the stories that you want to tell? Oh, that is the question of the century. That's the question of my life. Um, you know, for, as I mentioned, for years, I've been helping others tell their own stories, right? And understanding what were those moments where you felt like you either needed to make a change or you saw a problem and fixed it? What, what are those pivot points for you, right? And as I reflect and I'm looking forward to building Beam in the sense of, you know, it is going to be, it is right now, right? Audio and video storytelling, but it is going to be in person and it's building partnerships with public pri private partnerships. Um, that's 
kind of hard to say, but public-private partnerships and collaborations with advocacy organizations to really help continue to shape and amplify the narrative of motherhood and change that narrative of motherhood. Um, this is the question always on my mind. So I think about caregiving and motherhood in that continuum, right? Because we always ebb and evolve. And I notice that even as a, as a mom, I'm changing day by day and how I approach parenting, how I approach my own care, how I approach family care and community care. And what I don't see across the board is a conversation or a narrative of motherhood that is intersectional, right? I see us converse, having the conversations and telling the stories of, oh, I'm a mom of littles or, oh, I'm caregiving older parents or, oh, I'm a mom of grown and flown kids. And it's always, um, I'm a mom of, and the conversations I want to have is I'm a mom. Sure. And I'm looking ahead to the moments where I have to deal with my own health issues, like menopause. One of those stories is me going from postpartum to perimenopause in literally 2.5 seconds, right? Mm -hmm. These are the conversations that we don't have. And we, we silo ourselves either into our, the stages of our kids or our stages of our own lives. And the thread continues, right? It's just like you were pointing out earlier, the stories of, you know, the, the deep desire to make impact for me is really seated in my days as a nonprofit fundraiser and a person who worked on the Hill, right? And worked on public policy. Um, that will never die, right? That will never go away. So I'm interested in the stories of motherhood that have many different touch points and that are nuanced. Um, and that also goes for caregiving because as you mentioned, we are communities and caregiving looks much different, even in the past, what, three years than it did before 2020. And we don't tell those stories as often. Such a huge point about, I think, caregiving overall and how much it's changed over the past couple of years, because there's so many, I mean, I find it's a matter of like, there's so many places where your care can go. And, and I say this as, as a, as not being a mom. And I mean, with a mom and having your children in the house and working and doing everything that we were doing during lockdown and otherwise, but it's almost like the lottery of caregiving, right? Like where, where can we put it? Because there's, there's an endless need for that in, in our immediate and broader communities and in our organizations. Absolutely. And it comes down to, it's not just, uh, time and bandwidth issue, right? When you think about it, it's an economic issue. Yeah. It is absolutely an economic issue. It is a health issue. It is a mental health issue, right? And it's really easy in today's day and age to tell a story and it's one start end, middle end. It's easily packaged for social. I've got my five like steps to take care of myself better as a caregiver but it is so nuanced. We have to have the, the financial supports to make that happen. We have to have the time, the bandwidth, the flexibility. It's different for different cultures, right? And so that's where it gets really interesting for me to have those conversations because it's not just as cut and dry as we wanna say, but I know it's really hard to wade into those murkier issues. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's so interesting too, when you think about, I'm thinking about in, in the organizations that I've worked for, so many of the women end up doing 
the the caregiving in in like the 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 housekeeping kind of realm right like we were the ones that would do sort of the team building exercises or coordinate the 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 birthday cake parties or like do all of these things and and it's not to say that that men or other people didn't do it too but that's one thing that i've been very mindful of is just because people are volunteering to do it doesn't mean <laughs> that they should do it right right because then we become the default right yeah. like the default person who's going to always order lunch or always take notes in that meeting um and when i was working at a couple different startups especially like a female founded one here we had all women at the table right mostly and a lot of men too who joined on board but at the end of the day i even in that situation, I noticed one person who was always the one who was taking notes and, and that was on my team. And it was a moment for me to be like, oh no, like, oh, let's split that up. Right. Like, it's not just that. And so it can be in any society and any like construct. I think, you know, when you bring up work too, I think there's conversations around what does work like look like now especially as you know remote work post pandemic return to work that entire conversation is so murky at best right like and there's there's um you know i was talking this morning with uh jessica gross from the new york times and she was saying about research coming out about remote work and the need for radical flexibility so that it's not just moms and caregivers that that need that it's it's the dads too like that supports the, the parents, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, the young, um, like the early, you know, the millennial workers too, who are also taking care of things at home because they're coming from different backgrounds. So it's that, those are the conversations and the stories that I feel sometimes get skipped in mainstream conversations. And we need to be bringing those up because it impacts us all. Yeah, undoubtedly. And that's a really great point, just as far as how, I mean, it's it's not just a murky, I mean, return to work in the and hybrid work environments and just the future of work, the real future. It's meaty, right? I mean, there's right. there's so many, there's so many things at stake. Oh my gosh, so many things at stake. I mean, for example, we when we found out we were pregnant in 22, and this was after a miscarriage, um, you know, that was pretty devastating for us, but my husband made a conscious choice to change to uh, change jobs and a startup, um, that's based in the Bay area. And we had to have really like focused, intentional conversations about what the future of that looked like, because all of a sudden, you know, we have two people working out of a home and both to be on, you know, maternity, paternity leave. What does that look like? Would this grant him a little bit more flexibility in terms of where he could be and how he could not help because how he could actually parent, right? And how he could be present for his, you know, his parents and our community as a whole. And it was the right move for us, especially for his career. But those are the kinds of, you know, the the meaty conversations that are happening in homes around the country, um, whether that's return to work or just deciding to flip to a new job. And I mean, if there's anything that takes a lot of courage, it's a, to be able to say like, this situation is not working for me. How can I pivot in life 
to say like, why, why not? Why can't I go find a job that's a bit more flexible or a convert like, or, or something that's a bit more accommodating for the schedule that I need to have in order to be a whole human being? Yeah. Well, and why am I not having these conversations that I need to be having? And which is huge at work. And also, um, I'm so sorry to hear about your miscarriage experience. I think that that's one thing that, um, I mean, so many women go through and I have so many friends I've had employees of mine that have been working for me. I mean, like in the larger universe, there is that it, it's one of those conversations that people are not comfortable in having. And those are the things that we really need to be talking about. So I'm really curious too about, it's great that you're having those conversations with your husband. It's great that you like a true partnership. And that's one of the things that my husband and I take so seriously too. But how do we bring that into our larger world? How do we make it like, it's okay to talk about it and not be awkward and uncomfortable and, and just weird. Oh my gosh. That, that's the million dollar question again. Look at you. It, it takes, it takes practice, right? I think you're right. These are the conversations when it comes to grief and loss, um, when it comes to deeply personal conversations around, um, around what your choices are as a family and what your healthcare, looks like. you know, those are the chronic illness is even a conversation there too, right? Like what do you share so that other people can either come along the right and understand where you're coming from. Right. And it all comes down to vulnerability. Like that's it. And what you're comfortable sharing. I think the, the quote that I love is from Brene Brown and she talks about what she shares publicly versus privately and her, her litmus test is to understand that one, if she's processed through it completely. So like, not that there's emotion taken out of it, but that she can easily think through and talk through it in a way that honors the situation and honors the people in that situation and that she's practiced multiple times. And, um, you know, she, I, I love her work and I love the work that she does. And I kind of use that as my own model too. Like when sharing about the miscarriage, we had like I'd practiced that conversation multiple times and we had processed through that as a family. And I made sure to connect, you know, with my family and say, can we share that? So it comes down to vulnerability, but when we share those stories again, that's when, and we have the courage to share those stories. That's when we hear the me too, like the, I see yeah. And I feel you and I'm, I'm in there with you. And that's when we yeah. need the support. Yeah. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to end. We have to, because we're out of time. So <laughs> I'm going to give a quick capture of a few things that I heard you say. Um, why do we stuff these stories down? Let's think about what are the conversations and maybe the stories that we need to be telling. And, you know, how do we create motherhood and caregiving conversations that are truly intersectional because right now that is really not happening. So Amy, we will have all of your information on the couragefact.com website. It was such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you so much. This was such an honor. Take care of yourself. Everybody, thank you for listening. Stay courageous. Mm -hmm.